Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast, episode number 37. In today's episode, I'll be discussing the primary causes of failure and how to avoid them. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. Join Ron Bouchard as he casts a wide net sharing his philosophy of life, business, and success, and goes fishing for wisdom in interviews with other entrepreneurs, authors, and thought leaders. You'll hear their stories of triumph and tribulation. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur trying to succeed outside the confines of the current of social expectation, bring the bait and join us for Gone Fishing. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Bouchard. I thought I would start today's podcast by reading an excerpt from The Magic Ladder to Success by Napoleon Hill. In this chapter entitled Profiting by Failure, he writes, It is true, there's sort of unseen fate, or wheel turning in the lives of all of us. And sometimes it brings us good fortune, and sometimes ill fortune despite anything we as individual human beings can do. However, this wheel obeys the law of averages, thereby ensuring us against continuous ill fortune. If ill fortune comes today, there is hope in us and in the thought that its opposite will come true in the next turn of the wheel, or in the next, or in the next. Fairy is one of the most beneficial parts of human beings' experience for the reason that there are many needed lessons that must be learned before one commences to succeed. Lessons that can be learned by no other teacher than failure. Failure is always a blessing in disguise, provided it, it teaches us something useful. Some useful lesson that we could not or would not have learned without it. Failure is true life what the kiln is to the potter. It tempers us. Millions of people make the mistake of accepting failure as final. Whereas it is, like most other events in life, transitory. And for this reason, should not be accepted as final. Successful people must learn to distinguish between failure and temporary defeat. Every person experiences at one time or another some form of temporary defeat. And out of such experiences come some of the greatest and most beneficial lessons. In truth, most of us are so constituted that if we never experience temporary defeat, or what we ignorantly call failure, we would soon become so egotistical and independent that we would imagine ourselves more important than God. In this episode, I wish to teach you the primary reasons why people fail. Not so you can avoid failure in life, because failure is the laboratory of success. It's the laboratory in which we learn how to succeed. I'm giving you these lessons so that you don't have to spend your entire life learning lessons that have been learned by other people so that you may learn from them and not repeat them for yourselves. 
so you may spare yourself the 5, 10, or 15 years of failure and shorten your time that it takes you to get to success. And here to discuss this episode is Dinka Vojovic of Co- Coaching by Dinka. How are you doing, Dinka? I'm doing great, Ron. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So we're discussing the primary causes of failure and how to avoid them. And from a coaching perspective, I'm sure that you've come across a lot of needless failure um, from your clients. Um, yes. So I think it's important that we discuss the primary reasons why people fail so that they get an idea about what's holding them back, such as the current social expectation, that the current social expectation has built into it a certain number of these fail points that um, teach us these, um, these bad habits, if you will. Yes, yes. And I, I see this working with my clients. Yeah, bad habits. <laughs> because if you think about it, we really, people don't decide their future. They decide their habits. And those habits decide their future. So that's why it's very important to pay attention to your everyday habits. And I always stress this with my clients, stress that all the time. And everything is a choice, either conscious or unconscious, but it's a choice. And sometimes the the current social expectation is teaching us when we're young and vulnerable things that just aren't so. Yes, yes, of course. You know, our core beliefs, they come from our parent figures, peers, schools, systems, collective culture. We talked about that on our earlier podcast, you know, and then we internalize these beliefs as our own, you know, unconsciously. And um, now brain scans our environment in every present moment to confirm these beliefs as truths. And then we get stuck, you know, carry that in our adulthood. And what happens, you know, we, we engage in these patterns of uh, codependency, emotional immaturity. And um, unless we address those, then we have those self-sabotaging behaviors that quick, quickly become very cyclical and then, you know, leave people very unhappy, unfulfilled, unwell, and they feel like a failure. <laughs> I see this all the time in my coaching with my clients. So I just wanted to go through the list and kind of have a conversation about each one of these these um, these items. Uh, tell the people what it is that people are doing and what they can do to avoid it. That makes sense? Yes, it does. I, I'm looking forward to hear, you know, see your list. <laughs> <laughs> so number one, I think that by and large, people fail because they have a lack of personal responsibility. And we, we at Sagazo Apparel, we just released a shirt saying you can be the victim or the victor, not both, in response to an earlier podcast of the, the 12 Principles of Waypoint Mastermind. It, it's the principle carries on no matter how we dress it up, no matter what we call it. Truth is truth. And one of the primary causes of failure is people don't take personal responsibility for their lives. They're not in control. So when they're not in control, they give control over to somebody else. It's kind of like a chess match. You can yes. either be the player piece of the pawn, and you get to choose. Most people don't choose, so they become pawns in somebody else's game. Exactly. If you don't make a decision, somebody else will make it for you. 
and that's that's just the law of universe. That's yes. how it works. And there are a lot of people who are hell bent on getting control of somebody else, whether it's in um, corporate America, whether it's even even in families, um, or whether it's in governments. There are tyrants who are in, completely and only addicted to the intoxicated nectar of absolute power. It doesn't matter how little the power is. Once they taste it, they want more and more of it. So if you allow them to take control, they will. You just might not like where you're going. Absolutely, yeah. They will take they will take advantage of it. And, you know, next thing you, you don't even know what is going on with you because your life is just seems like you're living somebody else's life, which you actually are. So, yeah, that's, that's a so, good point. I agreed. So lack of personal responsibility is when people, they blame other people for their failure. You know, it's very easy to blame. It's much easier than taking personal responsibility. They also justify why they can't succeed. And they complain about everything. They live in a perpetual complaint counter of life. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm going to add here, when, when they justify why they can't succeed, uh, often, you know, it's a core belief system. And, um, you know, it's it's usually comes from not good enough, not worthy. And um, this is what I think is happening with people who who don't succeed and not with everybody that there are many other reasons, but I'm saying very often I see clients that they, they want to succeed and they start, but then the core belief system just, you know, it doesn't allow them because they believe that these, these beliefs are the truth, you know, quote unquote. So that's what I find often when they, you know, try to justify why they can't succeed. It's but well, you know, I try, but I don't think I, I can do it. I don't think, you know, this is too hard for me. I'm not smart enough or I don't deserve it. That's where I find justifying a lot. But then, of course, there are other, uh, wait, you know, there are other reasons why they justify too, which can be always blaming somebody else or uh, finding some other reasons. Yeah, I just wanted to add this yeah, uh, it's a, to the complaining. Yeah. And it's a fair yeah. point. People have different – we have different layers of what I call levels of belief, um, starting with the lowest level, which happens to be um, when we give up. When it's called resignation. When we resign from life, when we say that it's not possible. And I think there's a lot of people who have it's not possible or the level right above that, which is the fatalism or fatalistic beliefs where they think, well, it might be possible for others, but just not for me. Yeah, you know, it's just because I I, I think that very often what people, most people, because I see when people tell me, well, you know, I, I don't think I can do it. Look at so many people tried and they can't do it. Because most, most of us measure our success by what others haven't done. I find this very often, Ron. And it takes takes a lot of work for, for me to convince them that they're very good, they're very unique, and they're very good at one thing, and they need to find out what that thing is, create their goals, and then, of course, the rest, actionable steps. Uh, 
and don't measure yourself and don't look at the average. Just say, yes, I can do this. It doesn't matter that 10 people before me were not able to accomplish this very, you know, specific, let's say, goal or task. That's what I find in my practice. What about you? Yeah, um, I do. And um, like, I, like we were saying, this is only one little tiny piece of the puzzle. But as far as personal responsibility yeah. is concerned, people also lack personal responsibility for their resources. So some people feel entitled to somebody else's resources or efforts. So they're blaming other people. At the same time, they want somebody else to bail them out, somebody to come to the rescue um, for, for, for the mess that they've made, either conscious or unconscious. And then another thing that makes people lack personal responsibility is dependency on the government or parents for survival. And 70% of all our government programs currently, um, they go towards entitlement programs. So, Interesting, interesting. I didn't know that. That's interesting. 70%, that's a huge number. Yeah. Because the goal is to make people dependent, because when you make people dependent, then they rely on you, which means they have greater control. So you're not going to tell them no, and you're going to keep them in power. And... Yes. And this is not just a bad mouth all politicians, but it's the nature of power. You know, to say that one country is not going to do it, another country, all countries are going to do this. That's why you have to have systems of checks and balances to check, have a check and balance on power. Because power, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when you allow people, who, by the way, it's human nature to sometimes lack personal responsibility. Um, it's e but it's easy to take the the easy way out, and I think a lot of people will choose, and that's what you know. Human nature is we we take the easy way out. We don't take the hard road. We allow um, we allow people to uh, let us off the hook. Yes, yes, and you know what's interesting that I, did you know that our brain is only two percent of our body weight and twenty percent of our energy consumption. Okay, so so what happens? Our brain really is a pleasure seeker, wants to avoid change, wants to avoid all that uncomfortable, right? Wants to stay in that comfort zone. So so you know, it's it's our subconscious mind really makes it hard for us to change because we are not evolutionary wired for that for change. And every time you know, every time we try to get out of this autopilot mode and face, you know, we face resistance from our body and mind. And uh, that's why we want to stay in comfort zone. It's exactly what you're saying, though, you know, those habits that we, um, you know, try to change. It's very difficult because, uh, you know, our monkey, our monkey wants to always create resistance because it's, it's easier and that's what feels good. And that's what requires the least amount of um, energy. So we are genetically wired <laughs> to to resist change or anything that's difficult. So that was number one. Number one is lack of personal responsibility. I think you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> but number two, we have an inability to discern truth. 
What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I agree with you. And um, I think that we don't ask the right questions, Ron. You know, because asking the right questions will get you to freedom and truth. So I agree. Inability to discern truth. Yeah, and we have to put a sentry or a guardian at the doorway to our mind because our mind is so precious. And when you put bad thoughts in, we have bad thoughts out. So we have to make sure we protect our mind from all of the bad information. And 72% of what we believe, as per Dr. Bruce Lipton, and I think in this day and age, probably a little higher than that, 72% of what we believe is false. Now, we can't even get over the fact that 72% we currently believe is false. We are constantly inundated in this day and age with false information. You know, Voltaire said, if you want to know who controls you, find out who you're not allowed to criticize. I think that speaks really true to our our current um, situation where when you're not allowed to talk about something, you know that you're over the target. For instance, coronavirus. And yes, I said it. Coronavirus was a plan. And I can prove it. Now, I'm going to give people proof. And the only reason I'm doing this is so that people understand that there is evidence if you're willing to look for it. But people are not willing to look for it until... Now we have Fauci emails being released, and I mean, the gig is up, so to speak. But people have been talking about this yeah. since the very beginnings. Now, let me give you absolute proof that it was a plan. We were told that the coronavirus started, right, sometime in December of 2019 in Wuhan, China. Am I correct? Yes. By the end of January of 2020, we pretty much had a a restriction on flight. And then by March, we were in full-blown pandemic mode. Yes. Am I wrong with any of those timelines? No. Those are all correct, yes. And you can actually research and find out. If you want to research, you can find out that this is all. So that is the narrative that it was a spontaneous release because somebody ate a bat in a wet market. And talk about the fact that in March of 2020, then President Trump signed a uh, coronavirus relief act called the CARES Act. Am I right? Yes. So when was said CARE Act written? When would you think the CARE Act would have to be written for it to be signed in March of 2020? (laughs) Well, we all probably know. We all can guess when. So people would think if they're thinking about that, they think January, February, right? Maybe March, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it was January. The problem was it wasn't January 2020. It was January 2019. So how do you write a coronavirus relief act bill for a pandemic that does not happen for another year? Spontaneously. 
from a wet market in China? The answer is, yeah, the answer is obvious. <laughs> so that is absolute proof to the discerning individual that something is not right. And that evidence has been on the government website this entire time, along with thousands of other pieces of information that are absolute proof that people can choose to follow or not follow. So if we're not able to discern truth, we're never going to be able to protect ourselves. What is that, what is that um, saying? Um, those who stand for nothing fall for everything? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so in order to protect yourself from falling for it, you need to be aware and have the sentry at the doorway of your mind protecting you and your mind, your greatest asset, from disinformation. And we had a podcast on that. I, I, I gave you the eight steps to discern truth. So I did that for a very specific reason. So anyway, that's my number two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you do number three? Drunk monkey. <laughs> well, we kind of we already kind of covered yes. it, right? We know what the monkey, our monkey mind, yeah, yeah. which is our subconscious mind, yeah. is what we call the drunk monkey. Yes, and the drunk monkey is unconscious. The problem with the drunk monkey is, unless we give it a life force, unless we give it a form, unless we give it a name, unless we give it a personality. It's something that's subconscious. We don't think about it. We don't see it. We don't feel it. It's not tangible. So when we name it the monkey, we give something very intangible a life force and make it more tangible. And we recognize immediately when the monkey is misbehaving because it brings the unconscious conscious. Am I wrong? You're correct. Absolutely. Yes. And you can act, then you know your monkey, and you can just tell it, hey, I know you're here. I'm aware of you. But I'm not buying this. So just go over there and, you know, sober up yourself. At least you're aware. You're not, you're not blind to what's happening. And that's, a, that's what I was saying. Those core beliefs that we get from our parent figures, our subconscious mind, our monkey mind. Uh, as long as we're not aware of it, it controls us completely. And once we start getting, you know, giving it a name, making it right, making it an actual, how would I call it? <laughs> actual person that's controlling our mind. Then it's so much easier to, to identify when the monkey's drunk. Right. And when those limiting beliefs are, are sabotaging us. And we have somebody to blame. So instead of blaming others for our failure, we can blame the real culprit, the monkey. Exactly, yes. So number four is they lack a strong foundation. I talk all the time about strong foundation. Foundation is all about belief systems and habits. So um, the monkey deals primarily with all the, the limiting beliefs but those limiting beliefs are the blood supply to habit patterns. 
we have habit patterns when it comes to money. So we have beliefs and habit patterns when it comes to money. We have beliefs and habit patterns as it comes to relationships. We have beliefs and habit patterns as they relate to to our career, um, to our health, to our spirituality, um, to our to our mental, emotional um, being. Um, so we have all these habit patterns, and unless we build up habit patterns of those who succeed to so success habit patterns, we settle for failure habit patterns. Things that we systemically do that cause us to fail. Right? Yes. Exactly. Yes. So how do we break the, these habits that, that create failure? Um, you break them by creating new habits. You know, right, so and new beliefs. Start, yeah, new beliefs, yes. And then you start creating new neural pathways in your brain. And once that, that new habit is stronger than the existing one that's not serving you, it actually replaces that old one. So that's another uh, example how we can rewire our brain. And, and it's possible, but we need to do it. We need to do, do it every day and we need to take small steps. I think that's the key. That's what I see with my clients, small steps. And then it compounds. And then the next, after a month or so, it's almost unconscious. It's unconsciously you're starting to do things completely differently because now you created that new habit. And, um, uh, that's, that's, what I call in my in my coaching, I call that, you know, getting your intentional muscles strong, and that's what most people struggle with. That you know, intentional muscle, uh, it's not strong as it needs to be, and that's why their productivity and you know consistency suffers. And uh, they have to have that intentional muscle strong. I'll give you an example. For example, I have clients who say, okay, I need to do this project and I know I need to focus. And then the, I do it for five minutes and then I decide I need to clean my fridge <laughs> or I go and start scrolling social media. This is where I always tell them, start with small steps. You can even set up an alarm and say, you know, I'm going to do this only for 10 minutes. Like, let's say you have to answer an email. You have 10 emails. I'm going to answer one email and I'm going to work for, you know, for five minutes. And the research shows that 80% of the time, actually you'll continue once you start. So, so this is how you consciously make that intentional muscle stronger by interrupting the old patterns and creating new ones. And that's how you, that's how you create new habits. There is no magic about it. You have to be consistent every day and, also, this is where your monkey comes into play. You have to be aware when that when that monkey is disturbing you and self sabotaging sabotaging you. So yeah, I wanted to add that about habits. Habits are a big thing in coaching. Yes, um, unlearning things, unlearning and learning new things. So that's a good segue to number five, which is the lack of developing a habit of saving. That's a very specific habit. And the reason that why that's singled out is because unless you can respect your own money and save your own money, 
and develop a habit of saving and putting away something systematically for yourself, unless you were able to do that for yourself, and it matters not the amount, nobody else is going to trust you with their money if you can't be trusted with your own. So that means when you need to borrow money, when you need to expand in business, when you need to do anything, people are not going to trust you if you don't have a habit of saving. Napoleon Hill and Thinking Grow Rich and Napoleon Hill and Law of Success said that no one can succeed without developing a habit of saving, period. There's no exception to that rule. So I thought it was very important to highlight it here because it's something we talk about all the time. It's actually one of the, I devoted two episodes to the habit of saving. Um, I think it's very important that people understand it does not matter the amount you save. It only matters that you get the habit of saving. And the habit of saving can be very powerful because you can put a, a lot away in a very short amount of time, more than you've ever been able to do before um, by focusing on saving. Anyway, number six, they allow fear to deter them from action. Nobody has any fear that you know, right? <laughs> You, yeah. You've never had a client that was afraid. Oh, never, never, never. <laughs> oh, everybody. Most people have yes. fear. It's, yeah. yeah. And there are two primary fears that we have to deal with primarily in coaching. Um, and what, what are those? Well, that I'm not good enough. I'm not deserving. Yep. And not being loved. Not being loved, yes, of course. That's that's actually, I think, the main. Not being yeah, loved. And not being enough. Yeah, not deserving. Yep. That's what I meant under yeah. not deserving. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And Napoleon Hill talks about others. There are, there are fears like um, fear of death, fear of dying um, and illness, fear of poverty, fear of ill health, fear of old age. So... He calls them the deadly fears. He says there are six deadly fears. But I think that these six deadly fears might be deadly and that once they get their grip on you, they can really do a tune on you. And for a while, after my, my father died suddenly, I had this massive fear of death. But I was very conscious of it. Um, not only did my father die, my, my best friend growing up dropped dead too. So it was a cycle mm -hmm. where my father was on the golf course golfing. He died. I never saw him again. My best friend was at my house, drank coffee. We laughed. The kids played together. My wife and her, his wife played together. They went to the store. He got home, took his dog out for a walk, and dropped dead. Oh. So after those, and my daughter was also very ill with, with – um, and going through chemo and very sick with cancer. So those that period of my life, I got this tremendous focus on death. And I became very fearful of death. Because you had major stresses yeah. going on right. in your life. You know, death, illness, serious illness. So I think yeah. that fear is a natural um, part of humanity. And, and it's actually used quite often to manipulate us. Fear and ignorance are the two primary motivational factors that governments and people who try to control us use. 
wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I mean, the coronavirus was one fear fest after another. And and they kept us ignorant by not giving us the correct information and then changing it under the dead of night in the system so they would cover themselves. So CDC was always changing the numbers when people weren't talking about them and changing um, the rules, uh, how, how, you know, the, the, the test PV, what is it called? Yeah, the PCB, the PCB test. test. Yeah, yeah. The they changed mm-hmm. the um, the testing itself, which, by the way, the the test was never effective for coronavirus. But you're not supposed to know that either. The the inventor of the coronavirus that mm-hmm. that test that said that it was not a useful test for coronavirus. But it, the the intention was to skew the numbers and make us feel fearful and keep us ignorant of the truth for as long as possible. Yeah. And that is coming out now. Fauci's emails are going to lay that all on the line. But again, people aren't going to believe me. You can see it for yourself. You can go back and just look at the CDC website. If you follow it like I did, follow the CDC website. Look at from the beginning and every change that they've made, you'll be shocked what they said, including saying, well, 97% of the cases that we said were coronavirus weren't coronavirus. Oh, really? 97%, huh? (laughs) So fear is... Something that keep us, I call it the octopus. You know, it's the octopus that we turn into a kraken. Yes, exactly. That's a good way yeah. to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so people are constantly running from things that aren't chasing them. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So number seven, do you know what number seven is? Lack of well-defined goals. Yes. That's very important to make sure that your goals are well-defined, that they're realistic, that they are your goals. Now, that's yes. a big one because <laughs> a lot of people come, okay, so I have that, I have that situation. I, many times I find that um, my clients, they can't accomplish their goals. They have goals. And um, there are too many things that keep them from you know, doing their best. And so I always ask them, is this your goal? Is this something that you're trying to do because you think you have to? Uh, and if the answer is is yes, then it's usually not your goal, and that's why you're avoiding it. So that's why you have to have very clear goals. And in order to have clear goals, you know, you have to find out, you know, who are you on an authentic level, and only then you'll be able to uncover, you know, what your real goals are, what's holding you back, and set those goals that are only yours. I usually, I usually ask a question uh, when a client is not sure. I ask, okay, so suppose you accomplish this goal now. Who is going to be the happiest person? <laughs> you know, usually it. And you know how many times they say, oh, you know, my mom or my dad or I don't know somebody else. So. It's it's not your goal really. Right. That's why you're, yeah. That's why you're you're procrastinating. The, there's a famous well, it's it's a quote that I love. It's famous from in my world. I have a poster that hangs in my that all my offices except for my current one. Um, I still have the poster. I just don't have a place for it yet. But it says, "If a man knows not what harbor he seeks, no light will be enough to guide him." If you don't know 
what you're aiming for, you can never hit it. <laughs> you can't hit a goal you can't see. And people are constantly trying to hit targets they can't see. They go off in a direction, but they don't know what, what they're looking for. Yeah, so exactly. First, it has to be your goal, and then you have to know exactly what that goal is and then have your actionable steps. That's very important. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so the, the next one is we have unrealistic model or expectations. We do all develop a model of the world and <clears throat> about the way things are supposed to happen, the way that things are supposed to happen. For instance, you know, the TV taught me as well as um, the rare experiences that I had with family members about the birthing process. Right? How is the birthing process supposed to be? I mean, you see birth in all these movies. They give birth, either the father stands outside, or it's this miracle and it's a happy day, and it's it's great, and everything always turns out wonderful. That's expectation of what birth is supposed to be, right? And that's a realistic right. expectation for most people. My right. oldest son, that's not our experience. So sometimes our expectations are off. My expectation was a realistic expectation that turned into a a very difficult day because he was born, as you know, with with um, a disability due to lack of oxygen and other things that, that happened to him at birth, um, Dr. Era. But yes. we have unrealistic expectations about the way things are supposed to go. So I had a realistic expectation of what I expected. It just turned out badly. But other people have unrealistic expectations. Like I'm going to get a job starting out in the field and I'm going to make $100,000 a year and I'm going to do what I love. <laughs> yes. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> It, yeah. it never ceases to amaze me that people actually have those goals. I'm going to go work for somebody else, and they're going to pay me $100,000, and I'm not going to have to do very much, and they're going to love me. Oh, really? Yeah, that's not how it works. No, it doesn't. And there's a big disappointment that follows. Right. Usually. And what our model of the world doesn't match our reality. We have pain. Yes. And when we decide because it's a decision that we can't do anything about that pain we suffer so we need to understand that we have to have realistic expectations and models of the world if you don't have the height or the talent to be on an nba team chances are very good you're not going to be on an nba team you could love the nba but why don't you go work in the in the store or work on, you know, another aspect of NBA without being on the team? Absolutely, yeah. That's really important too because you can waste a lot yes. of time and – And have yeah, a lot of pain. And resources and, yeah, pain and have a lot of pain, exactly. And sometimes a reality changes. There's – how many times have uh, athletes been injured – and their expectations have been completely crushed because now they can't do. They were living the life of their dreams, 
and they can't continue doing that anymore. So they have a choice. They can either change their expectation or suffer. Yes, yes. And this is where the strong mindset really plays a role. Depending how you're gonna how you're gonna look at it, yes. And next week I'm talking to somebody who who really talks specifically about finding hope when it's hard to see a way forward, who who underwent something very similar. But anyway, I think that we need to have realistic expectations because sometimes life changes and we don't have any we can't change what happened, but we can change how we look at it. Exactly. You know, I have an example that I, one of our one of my um, teachers was telling us a story that she had uh, two clients and they were Vietnam vets and they were both paraplegic with injuries of lower spinal cord. So both were, you know, unlikely to walk again. And they both had the same diagnosis and the same prognosis. But the first one, she said, spent hours curled up in that fatal position you know, on his bed, full of rage and, you know, cursing and God and country. And then the other preferred to be out of bed, sitting up in his wheelchair. And he would say, I'm seeing everything differently now. You know, he would tell her, my children came to visit me yesterday. And um, now, you know, I'm in a wheelchair and I'm so much closer to their eyes. You know, so it's like he wasn't happy to be disabled, but still he he found something good in it. He didn't feel sorry for himself. So that's really, you know, having that having that perspective, having that strong mindset and being able to choose, you know, is your injury going to give you all these, you know, how is your injury going to impact your life from now on? That's to me. That was kind of a powerful story. I remember that story. and um, I have one as well. <clears throat> it's actually very funny because that story almost caused me to write a book. Um, so this woman named Emily Pearl Kingsley, she wrote a, she wrote a story or a, um, an essay called Welcome to Holland. And she says, I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel, it's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make your wonderful plans, the Colosseum, the Michelangelo, David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The plane lands. The flight attendant comes on and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? <laughs> what do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I was supposed to be in Italy. All my life, I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in that flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. 
It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks. You must learn a whole new language. And you'll meet a whole new group of people you have never met before. It's just a different place. It's slower paced in Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while, and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. And Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy. And they're all bragging about what a wonderful day they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I'm supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever go away because the loss of the dream is a very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special and the very lovely things about Holland. Yeah, that's a, that's a great. It's it, see, this is this is a mindset of a winner because if you focus on what's wrong, you know everything is wrong. Like she could have found everything wrong because wrong is always available, right? But if you're looking for what's right, you know there is always right, and right is also available, and that's what she chose to do. And just like this patient that I was talking about, and that's that's the mindset that you need in order to succeed in life. So, I we have a lot more to go. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> let's let's see what's um, next. Lack of why. That's a that's an interesting one. I'm like to hear about that. If you yeah. don't know why you're doing something, if you don't have a big enough why, if it's not important enough to you, you will not put in the desired effort or the needed effort to accomplish a goal. On last week's podcast, I talked about having a mission. This is your mission. Why are you doing the thing that you're doing? If you want it bad enough, if it's a burning desire, if it becomes, for instead of a want to, it's a must, you'll succeed. And I think most people don't have their mission. They don't have a clear mission. They don't have a clear why. And a podcast coming soon, I'm going to help them get to the bottom of of their why. But for now, um, they need to have a, a why. So what do you think the next one is? Lack of well-thought-out plan. It's one thing to know what you want. It's also another thing to have a well-defined goal. But unless you plan out how you're going to get there, <laughs> you're never getting there. Or... Um, last week I was talking about on the podcast, if you, you were going to go to California and you get in your car and you start driving to California without knowing where California is in relation to you, you may end up in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it didn't matter how long you drive and how much work you put in, you could end up in New Jersey. So if you're trying to find Dinka, it's important that you know where, where California is in order to get to California. So when I want to get to come visit you, Dinka, I need to actually find out where you are and have an address uh, and and chart a plan to get there, right? We need driving directions, right? It's the same with yeah. life. We need yes. driving directions through life. So 
Very true. Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good analogy. Yeah, I like this about driving to California. Yeah. Well, you would because you live in California. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so lack of imagination is a number 11. The lack of imagination, we were talking earlier about why imagination. And this is not imagination like the creative imagination, the creative genius. This is just the ability to imagine your life differently. This is to the imagination to problem solve. Think of different ways of handling a problem. We all have a, an imagination. The difference is we all use that imagination for different strengths and purposes. A wind uses the imagination for creative means of expression, art, music, oratory skills. Whereas a earth will use their imagination for analytical purposes, designing a new iPhone 7 or 8. A water might use their imagination to problem solve how to do a specific task better, more efficiently. How am I going to give this patient care more efficiently? And a fire might use their imagination to get to their destination quickly or quicker. We use imagination differently depending on our personality style and what, what we're geared towards, but we all have imagination. The problem is, do we use it to problem solve or do we... Do we let life happen to us, or does life happen for us? We let we let life happen to us because you're you're absolutely right. We don't use our imagination enough. I don't think we were, I don't think we were ever growing up. At least I was never really encouraged to use my imagination much. Now, when I think about it, no, we're, we've been taught to follow. The current social expectation. This is the path we follow. No thinking involved, no help or input from you. Just do what I ask you to do. And that's where we are. That's why we have such a problem with imagination and why we are not allowed to to um to um hone it, to improve it. Anyway, imagination. And twelve, inability to cooperate with other people. <laughs> Life is about comp uh, cooperation, not competition. We are not meant to do this world alone. You know, in 10,000 BC, in order to get the big kill to feed your tribe, you needed to work together, right? And the whole tribe of men went out and worked to go kill that, yeah. that animal. And bring it back. And the women were doing their fair share of gathering all of the, the vegetables. And they worked in unison. They had their roles and their jobs, not because one was superior or inferior. They were working together cooperatively to feed all of the, the tribe. We have lost that along the way. Yes. Mm-hmm. We have lost it along the way, and we've learned not to work with other people. You know, in school, we're taught not to, not to cheat on our tests, not to look at other people. So we, we then translate that to mean 
we shouldn't ask other people for help, or we shouldn't get help from other people. And that's not true. Yes. We were meant to work with other people. We need to cooperate with other people. Yes, absolutely. We cannot do it alone. We need other people. And the society just, uh, there's this common theme of, oh, I can do this by myself. I don't need your help. Oh, I can do it. People feel that it's, people think that if they show their vulnerability, if they ask for help, if they need somebody else to come and show up for them, they feel that's, that's weakness. And that's, that's what I have also had to teach my clients, you know, to ask for help, to show your vulnerability, to say that you don't know something, that's sign of strength and emotional maturity. Right, because it's a mountain you're trying to overcome. Therefore, you need the tools to overcome it. And it doesn't matter where you get them from as long as you get them. The goal is the goal. And we need to work together to find the answers. That's why corporations have board of directors. It doesn't matter what you call this cooperation. We can call it a group. We can call it a club. We can call it a mastermind. We can call it a board of directors. We can call it anything you need to call it. We can call it a friendship meeting. We can call it lunch with friends. We can call it whatever you want. As long as you're cooperating with others, <laughs> um, a network, you can you just got to cooperate with others to get to your goal. Yes. And how about number 13? Inability to put others first. Go ahead, Ron. You're yeah. you good example. So we tend to think in relation to ourselves. So when we're dealing with a customer and we put ourselves first, and this is what we see classically with salespeople, I, 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 I can do this. I can do that. I can do that. I'm the best. I can get you in real estate. I can get you the best price for your property in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of hassle. (laughs) <laughs> that is the classic line in real estate. I can get you the most money, least amount of time, with the least amount of hassle. That is putting yourself first. People are not interested in you. Right? I, I, I. Exactly. They're interested in them. <laughs> what do you want? Yes. What do you need? Put them first. Ask a lot of questions. People want you to give them what they want, deliver what they need. You don't need to share with them what they need because they're not going to buy that anyway. You need to give them what they want and deliver what they need. Yeah. And that's really emotional intelligence, which many people lack. You always need to find out what that person needs and wants. And know the difference. A want is a want that they're conscious of. Give them what they're conscious of Mm -hmm. while delivering what they need so that they become satisfied. Because if you just give what they want, it's not going to solve their problem. You're the professional. You know that. They don't. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. You give them what they need. You give them what they need by giving them what they want. 
and then delivering what they need. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be clear because people are not people. In fact, we had this conversation last week about when you're doing advertising, you don't advertise what you're giving the person because what they're giving the per- what you're giving the person is not something they need. For instance, mindset. If you advertise mindset, people aren't buying mindset because they don't know how important it is. They don't know they need it. They don't know it's eighty percent of why they fail. People should be flocking all over the place to change their mindset, especially with the sick mindset we've seen. <laughs> we have a lot of drunk monkeys. We, we we have the AAA, the AA for monkeys, and we need to get as many of them in. But unless they know that they're drunk, they're not going to be buying it, right? Exactly. So give them what they yeah. want. So you, what do they yeah. want? Exactly. Give them. They want. Mm-hmm. And then deliver what they need once they're... So we sell them on, oh, you want to make more money. Well, that's a tangible goal that they want. They can never get there without changing their mindset. So we give them what they want by delivering what they need, changing their mindset, and helping them uh, build a foundation to get the thing that they want. That's right. So anyway, that's that's number 13. Number 14 is greed. It's kind of in line with this. People are too greedy. They're so worried about what other people are getting and worried about taking so much for themselves. So it's all about me, 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 and making sure that you don't get any. Yes. You know, I never understood yes. people saying to me, well, what do you get out of it? So I'm offering you a deal. What difference does it make what I get out of it? Unless I'm doing something illegal, it's interesting how, what difference does it make? Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting how that's always one of the first questions that I find. What are you getting out of this? <laughs> Why is that relevant to you? What should be relevant to you is what value you are getting out of this. You should be concerned with you, not what I am getting out of this, as long as you're getting what you think you need. And what yeah, especially when it's not costing them any more. So let's say I offer you a service or product, and because I know the people, they're going to give you a discount. But I'm also going to get maybe a commission or a, or a like, or I'm going to get points, or I'm going to get a free month, or what difference does that make for you, uh, to you? You're getting a great product at a discounted price that nobody else can get. Why does it matter what I'm getting out of it? Unless there's a conflict of interest, unless I'm selling you a cure to a disease I've caused, <laughs> then I understand. But if there's no conflict of interest, what difference does it make? Number 15. uh, This is a big one. Intolerance. Yes. But I want to be very specific because people look at intolerance. They have context different for intolerance. Intolerance is not intolerance of ideas. Right? Because everybody's talking, we need diversity. We need diversity. We do need diversity. We need a diversity of Mm -hmm. ideas. 
Yes, that's what we need. We should love the person, but disagree with the ideas. But at least we have to hear them. And even if we disagree with them, tolerance is tolerating the person, loving the person, and tolerating their ideas that are different. But this this society today, we're not tolerating any alternative idea. Right? We have a subjective opinion. Well, I don't like that, so therefore, I hate you. Well, where did that come from? Yeah, that's yeah, that's it's it's very sad. That's how it is. If somebody disagrees with you on something, you're immediately blacklisted. <laughs> I mean, from them, they're in, you're immediately. Yeah, yeah I yeah, mean, you're, that's it's look at sad. social media. They'll just take you off. You said something that I don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy because. If we're going to succeed, we need to hear alternative ideas, especially when, in reality, if we had all the tools we needed, we wouldn't be in the position we're in. So, therefore, we have to hear different ideas because the ones we're using aren't working. Exactly. And you need to have a different perspective and, and you know, think about it and exercise the the possibility of something different than what you were that that's intelligence that's when you say okay let me look at from this angle that's what we do in coaching all the time i'm going to look at it from different angle and maybe this is actually a better way of doing things or looking at things but no people have become so rigid and they just put you in in a different box. You're in this box, and you're in this box, and you're in this box. And, yeah, and, and that's all an effort to divide us. Quite, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Number sixteen. Let me tell you. What, let me see if you can figure out what sixteen is, because that's waypoint code word. Surrounding yourself with purple anchors. <laughs> Have you ever heard me talk about purple anchors before? Yes. Yes, but I'd like so to hear you there again. Were, there I are two like different that. types of anchors. There's black anchors and purple anchors. Now, black is a utility anchor, okay? They're the ones in your life that you rely on. They're there to do a job, and they do a job effectively. And their job generally is to keep you from drifting aimlessly through life. These are the role models that you have in your life. These are the, the friends that really lift you up and really keep you centered and focused. But then you have purple anchors. These are the people who dig deep into the dirt and keep you from moving. And they're purple because it's all about them. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Oh, my life is so difficult. Look, And it becomes all about them. They're supposed to be helping you, but instead they're dragging you down. Yeah. So Napoleon Hill has a list of 30 reasons why people fail. Um And most of the things on his list fall under the category of surrounding yourself with purple anchors. I mean, they're all choice of mate, choice of friends, choice of wrong business associates. You know, how many times people get married to somebody who completely drags them down, who does not want the same things in their life? Mm -hmm. How many people do people, how many times do people have friends who they were friends from childhood, but they've grown differently? One has matured emotionally, the other one has not. And that friend just drags them down and is so needy and, and sucks from them rather than helps them. 
Yeah, they, they deter you from your working on your goals. And this is what I often tell my clients. I said, you know, you, you eat healthy food, you exercise, you uh, take supplements, and then you allow certain people to poison your, your environment with their words, with their actions, with no tolerance, no support. And then you wonder why you are suffering, what, whether it's your health or your you know job or your goals, because those people, exactly, they're... <laughs> Pulling you down. Yeah. They're dragging you through life. Uh, they're the barnacles on your boat. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> you know, they're constantly throwing barnacles and weighing you down. Anyway, number 17 is, this is a big one, not taking directed, imperfect, massive, and productive action, or what I call DIMPA. DIMPA is the actions that we take, but not just action, because action in itself is not important. Like going back to that drive to California, you can get in your car, put the pedal to the metal and drive. That's action. But it's not directed action because you're not heading towards California. It's definitely imperfect. <laughs> it's definitely massive that you're driving and you're going for long distance, but it's not very productive. So you're going to make sure you're taking, you have those, those you're not letting, you, you know which direction you're heading into. You don't need to wait until everything's perfect for you to start taking action. You want to make sure you're taking lots of it because you can also get to California and taking driving a mile a day. It'll just take you 10,000 years to get to California. And by then, the reason you're going to California um, might slip your mind. It's I know it would slip mine. Uh, <laughs> you know, though I've always wanted to go. I've always wanted to go on the Golden Gate Bridge. It's one of um, uh, I have a dream board, and the thing I put on my dream board a long time ago there's still things that are not accomplished. And the two big ones are going to Hawaii and going to California and driving a convertible over the Golden Gate Bridge. Wow. Then you need to yes. plan. You need to have a direct, imperfect, <laughs> massive, and productive action. Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> and you don't have to yes. wait. Yeah. And I have a reason to go out there now. I can go to visit you. Visit yes to visit yeah. me. That will be great. And you know what? You don't have to wait for everything to be perfect. <laughs> you know, you just you know how they say, aim for yeah. excellence, not perfection. Yes. So that's <laughs> you'll always fall short of aiming for perfection because perfection is a non-standard. It doesn't exist. Yeah, of course it doesn't exist. Yeah, we know that. Anyway, number eighteen, lack of self-control. Oh boy, um, people no. lack self-control in a lot of areas, especially. People who are successful, Napoleon Hill talks about people having a um, a sexual urge that is, let's say, um, not controlled, if you know what I mean. So people do mm -hmm. cheating on wives or, you know, having affairs in the office. And all those do is complicate your life. And... That's not the only self-control, eating and overeating, overspending, um, getting angry quickly, having, yes, a, you yes. know, being an unhinged. We have to have control. We have to have con control. of. We have to be in control of our boat. We have to be in control of our emotions. We have to be in control of our spending. We have to be in control of our lives. Because if we're not in control, somebody else will be. Exactly. And, you know, this is, again, going back to, our monkey and our foundation because many times when we're out of control 
whether it's addiction or everything you just uh, named, it usually is trying to suit some emotions or some need or some void. So going back again, supporting what we always talk about, you know, figuring, learning who your monkey is and then building a strong foundation. Yeah. Number 19, lack of resourcefulness. You know, people always complain, I don't have, I don't know, I don't know how. And it amazes me because the solutions are simple, generally, right? If you don't know how to do something, what's the solution? Find out. (laughs) Find somebody who does or find out yourself. Why do you, exactly, find out. But why do you think they do that, Ron? Why do you think why do you think people actually keep saying that I don't know or I don't have time or you know I don't I can't figure it out or why do you think people are saying because that? Because it's easier. No, it's easier. But, and some of it is belief. Yeah. They don't believe they can, even though they, they put the effort forward. So the classic example is if you want to find out how to do something, read a book from somebody who's actually done it. Hello? And how much does a book yes, cost? Exactly. Yes. Ten bucks, maybe eight and, bucks. Or yeah. a library you card. Use books. <laughs> exactly, library card. Yeah. But this is, again, going back to safe problems, yes. creating safe problems, sometimes without even realizing, and, uh, you know, and going to a great length to defend why they're, you know, I don't know, or, you know, it's it's hard. and yeah. So the problem with lack of resourcefulness is that generally people will buy a book and 97% of them will get never get past chapter one. So they never take the solution. They look at the solutions. Okay, I have the book. And I have to say, I'm guilty in a lot of cases of that as well. I've bought, well, I'm a book hoarder. I love books. And I, I don't like Kindle or, or, or audio books. I have to have real books. I like to smell them. I mean, this week I think I bought three. So <laughs> um, I love to have books, and I love them all the time. I'm always constantly reading them. But there are a lot that I buy and say, oh, good, I have the solution. But it's really hard having to read that book right now, and it's really a subject I'm not really interested in. So it's much easier to look at it and say, I have the solution, than actually do it. It's just like with people wanting to get in shape. Oh, they bought the weights and the yoga mat and they have a nice, uh, you know, nice uh, workout outfit and everything is there. I'm so excited. And then they they work out for two days and they quit. Yeah. I'm notorious for gym memberships. I think that my gym (laughs) membership, I've always bought years at a time. Don't know why. I think I'm saving money, right, By, by spending all up front. But am I really saving money? Because I, instead of going to the gym every day or three times a week for a year, I go three times in one week and then I'm done. No, and you wasted money and you also feel bad. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we have to become resourceful. All the solutions are out there. We have to be solution-minded and find people who have the solution either in a book or maybe a friend or a professional. Um, 
You know, if you need an electrician in your house, I don't recommend doing it yourself, but there are plenty of electricians out there. Yes, exactly. Solve the problem. Um, Solve the problem. Number 20, lack of persistence. People quit too soon. There's a famous story um, in Napoleon Hill. I think it's Napoleon Hill's book, but it might actually be – no, it's Napoleon Hill. It's two two inches before the gold. And it talks about a man who sold everything he had to buy a mine. They spent day and night mining, 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 mining for gold during the California gold rush and came up short. Sue sold all of his equipment to somebody down the street feeling defeated. That person bought all the equipment, went back into the mine, and two inches further into the mine found the largest vein of, of gold in all of California gold rush history. Yeah. You know, this is where I also, yeah, lack of persistence is a big thing with clients. So what I usually tell them is uh, to start small. Start small because, you know, the solution is a simple discipline. The practice of making and keeping the promise to yourself. So make a promise that every morning you'll stick to it. Okay. And that's how you're building the skill of discipline with a small promise to your every day. And then those that becomes a foundation for your daily life, which is the foundation of your goals. I find very often, I'll just give an example of getting in shape again. I had a client. She just said, oh, I'll go five days a week for an hour to the gym. And I knew she couldn't physically because I know she wasn't in the shape. And I said, no, just start maybe three times a week or, you know, go for an hour because she wanted to go for an hour. But I said, what I would suggest that you go every day just for 20 minutes, for 20 minutes. Because, you know, it compounds small, little by little by little. And then you build that routine and, as I said, foundation. And that's how it worked. Because if, if she had gone there, you know, four days in a row for an hour, she would have a probably after third day, not even fourth, she would have a horrible muscle ache and she would just quit and say no i can't do this it's not for me but if you implement small go small steps it you know it works much better i find this to be very effective in my work and small steps give you small wins yeah exactly that's what it is yes thank you for for saying for saying that that's exactly that's because they feel sense of accomplishment they feel proud they know they did it 20 minutes is not so hard and you know maybe they can persist for two weeks then maybe they can increase to half an hour and then increase more and next thing you know they're doing it and becomes a habit and and that's great well that's a good segue into the next one because The next one, 21, is lack of positive momentum. When you have small wins and those small wins build up, you build up positive momentum. As you're pushing, in the example I used last week's podcast, you're pushing a rock up a hill. Each win gives you the the, um, energy to push it more and to persist, right? So having that persistent yes. win, win, step by step by step, small win. How do you eat elephant? A bite at a time, right? You have these small wins, and you keep on pushing the rock up the hill, push the rock up the hill, push, push the rock up the hill. Um, 
even though the rock might slip a little bit, you continue pushing persistently. And when you do, you have positive momentum. And positive momentum is vital because the opposite of positive momentum is negative momentum. And negative momentum just drains us. It's, you get a lack of persistence. You get a lack of your mindset. Um, you get a lack of, of your mission and your why. Um, and you stop taking less and less action. So you don't get, you don't get your rock up the hill or you don't, you don't succeed. So lack yeah. of positive, um, momentum. What is, what's number 22? Inability to learn from failure. Yes, I call, I call yes. failure the laboratory of success. It's amazing to me how many people are afraid of failing when failing is vital to succeeding. Yeah, success is actually, I read it somewhere, success is the ability to go from failure to failure without losing your passion. That's what success is. Failure is actually good. I think uh, I the old, um, from Marcus Aurelius, I read it long time ago. He said, obstacle is the way. You have an obstacle, you quote-unquote fail, this is the way. This is where you're learning what your limitations are. You're learning new skills. You're becoming more resilient. I think failure is good. Yeah, I I was working on a video. never published it. Um, I, one of these days I will. But it says, what if um, what if Thomas Edison quit and didn't spend the time learning from failure after failure and inventing the incandescent light bulb. What if he quit? <laughs> what if That's what if Gutenberg example. didn't create the, the the printing press? You know, what if um, you know Apple didn't invent the iPhone? All these advances have yeah. changed our world. Some would say for the better, some would say for the worst, um, but it's all in how you use it. Not They are not necessarily in of themselves bad or good. They are just, it's how we use them. But we learn from failure, and those failures give us the ability to succeed at humongous rates. I mean, the iPhone is a humongous advancement, but so is the light in a very dark world. When, when they invented light and they could turn on a light, that's just amazing. Can you imagine now not having the ability to turn on a light? <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> I can't. When, when the lights go out, my kids are a mess for hours. Like, oh, when they got the lights back on, I can't get my iPad on. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So inability to learn from failure because failure is a laboratory of success. And we learn how to succeed by learning what doesn't work and, and rooting that out and adjusting ourselves. And the, the key here I want to stress is learning from failure, not failing and yeah. failing over and over again, because that's called insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. We're not doing that. We're learning from the failure and adjusting our sales. We're changing costs. Yes. We're course. trying something else. Oh, this didn't work? Okay, great. Then, you know, all the diseases out there can be found, the, the cures can be found by finding out what doesn't work and adjusting it to find out what does. 
Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes the answer is simple, like um, I'm like a hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so number twenty-three, um, ego and vanity. You've never met anybody who had massive ego, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, ego and vanity. That's that's a huge one. Yeah, in real estate, that is. I think that pretty much explains all of real estate industry. You have, you know, those um, realtors who who think that they are beauty queens or or, or models. You know, the way they're advertising themselves all over the place. And, yeah. you know, look at me. Look at me. I'm the shiny realtor. I, <laughs> they're not interested in how you look. They're interested in whether or not you can sell the house for them. <laughs> exactly. And yes. you speak to them, and they never took the time to learn how to do things correctly. They've never failed, or they've never admitted they failed because they have ego. An ego is a mask for lack of self-confidence. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It's something mm -hmm. that we put out yes. there as, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at how special I am when they think they're not very special at all. Well, you know, arrogance is, it, it, it really is a form of arrogance, and that's really unconscious incompetence. Yes. When that, that's why, you know, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right, and then you have to hide it. The problem is when you hide it, yeah. especially in real estate, I can't tell you how many real estate agents don't know how to read a contract. You know, I find that so hard to believe, but you know, you told me this uh, a few times. It's just unbelievable. They can sell real estate, and some of them make a lot of money, and they can't read a contract. I, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, they and they have egos. So I'll talk to them, and I'll say, you know, this is wrong. They say, I've been doing this for 30 years, to which I have to say, and you've been doing it incorrectly for all that time. What does that say about you? <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. they're wrong. Now, I have been told many times things that I didn't know whether or not they were true. So I say, hmm, let me check that out, and I'll call my attorney. Am I crazy? Is this, is this true? And then when I knew, when I had confidence – that I knew, because confidence equals competence, when I knew, mm -hmm. then I ran with it. You can't move me once I know something is true. Once I have proof, once I can take something that is tangible and say, look at this evidence. Once I have that in my hands, you're done. Yeah. But, but it's not ego, it's confidence. It's I don't know yes. everything, and I yes, know what I don't know. So the things I don't know, I mean it. I'll ask. Yeah. I'll find I, out. I'm constantly yeah. seeking yes. out new information. Yes. Um, yeah. I'll yeah look for resources. Yeah. <laughs> what right. we talked about, number 19. I'm very yes. resourceful. I've learned how to do almost everything on my own. I learned how to build websites because I had to. I learned how to market because I had to. I learned how to design flyers because I had to and logos and, and build systems because I had to and design businesses because I had to. There was nobody coming to help me. Yeah. And if they helped me, they did, they did it wrong. They didn't do it the way I wanted them to do it. So 
you know, I wanted them to design a website. Well, it wasn't the way I wanted it. So I learned how to design on my own. And then you go to call them to fix it. It's okay, $500. So I can change the letter I to a, you know, a period or whatever. It's like, come <laughs> on, are you serious? You, I, you just took out a letter. I know, but it, I had to log in and oh, come on. <laughs> so anyway, ego event. Number 24, jealousy. Oh, jealousy. Yes. Mm. Envy, jealousy. Yes. yes. And how many times have people jealous and they're so hell-bent on making sure that they focus on what somebody else has, that they don't focus any attention at all on what they need to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, envy, you know, or, yeah, jealousy is, is a – Tremendous waste of mental energy. It's it's really, I, I don't know. People who are envious, they're always looking for negative. And when you're looking for negative, you will never accomplish anything positive in your life. So you're wasting so much of your energy. And, and I just don't understand. You know, like I read somewhere once that people who are envious or jealous, when they look at you, you know, they'll always look at, through a microscope, trying to find what's wrong with you, you know. But when it comes to them, they're looking through a telescope, yeah. you know. It's like everything is good, <laughs> yeah. you know, nothing is wrong, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, um, yeah, don't envy anybody. That's really – No. That, that's, that's – You're the yeah. architect of your future. You can make anything happen that you desire, provided you're willing to do the mm-hmm. things that it takes to have that which – you're willing to have. I mean, you know, the problem is most people are not willing to do the things it takes to have what they want to have. So find an excuse not to do it. Yes. Yes. If weight loss was easy, everybody would be thin in bikini models, right? (laughs) That's true. Yeah, Yeah, they they don't want me bottling a bikini. So (laughs) 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 it's not my job description. But anyway... The last one that we're going to talk about is revenge. How many people do you know who spend all their lives, you know, trying to gain revenge about something that happened to them? They're seeking revenge, seeking revenge, seeking revenge, and they concentrate on nothing else. And then when they receive the revenge, they feel empty. It didn't fill the void that they thought it was going to fill. Mm-hmm. And and they, you know, they end up in jail sometimes, or they end up um, being now. Um, turned on by the person they sought revenge against who's now seeking revenge for seeking revenge. And it's a constant, never-ending struggle. And it's why you have the, what is the, um, those two families inside Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. You know, it's revenge and revenge. And they just, you then you forget why you're fighting in the first place. That's right. And you live in yes. the past. And that's why we never accomplish right, anything. Right. You rev- get revenge. And sometimes it's small things you have to get revenge on. Oh, they said something to me, so I've got to do something to them. I've got to stand up for my honor. No, you don't. <laughs> it takes more emotional intelligence to move on, right, than to, to let exactly, that get you to move on. Yes. dragged down by nonsense. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dinka, I'd like to thank you for being here today. Uh, this has been a long podcast, and I hope that people gain a lot of useful information about what not to do. To succeed in life, we have to yeah. learn what it takes to fail and not do those things. 
<laughs> or some right. people are stubborn and they just want to learn on their own. So go fail. My point of view is this. I said you can either learn from people who failed so you can save time and heartache, or you can press on and go through all those negative experiences and add 20, 30 years of pain to your success journey. I mean, simple choice for me. Yes. Really well said, Ron. You can find out more about today's guest by visiting the topic um, and visiting links in the show notes of this episode. Um, how can people get a hold of you, Dinka, if they are so inclined? Uh, my website, uh, coachingbydinka.com, and also on, on a Facebook, I have my own um, uh, empowerment and coaching, holistic empowerment and coaching, and on Instagram. They can find me and see what I'm doing and my posts and and my specialties. Terrific. Remember, life is an ocean, a strong boat, your foundation. If you want to succeed, identify a harbor, unfill your sails, sell outside the drift currents of social expectation, and let's go fishing. Thank you for listening, and join me next week for Finding Hope When It's Hard to See a Way Forward. And that's with Barbie Ingle. See you then. If you love today's podcast, you're going to love our Tackle Box tools and resources. Our guests have shared some of the greatest tools, information, and advice, and all of it is available free, as well as an ever-increasing array of mindset, coaching, real estate, financial, health, wellness, relationship, and other tools and resources to help you improve your life, increase your income, and live life on purpose. Join today by visiting our website at www.waypointmastermind.com and click the Join Now button. Enter code 2021 and start your journey to new you today. You've reached the end of another episode of the Gone Fishing Podcast. Connect with us at www.waypointmastermind.com where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive our free tools and resources. This podcast has been brought to you by Waypoint Mastermind. Personal growth and support through collaboration with a community of like-minded achievers. See you in the next episode.